Thank you, Stu, very much. Well, good morning to everyone. It's a delight to have all of you here today. I would invite you, please, to take your Bibles and turn to the book of the Psalms, and in particular, Psalm 107. I was asked just recently uh, what my favorite book of the Bible was, and I had a difficult time answering that question. You know, they're all good. But uh, I have to say that Psalm 107, uh, when it comes to the Psalms, is one of my very favorites. So I'm looking forward to opening this, uh, this blessed, blessed Psalm up uh, with you this morning. Psalm 107. If you are able, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of Yahweh, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works. To the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste, 
because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to dwell in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them, makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of Yahweh. The Lord adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. This psalm is so rich we could spend uh, many weeks on it. Um, I'm not sure exactly how many it will take, but uh, we're going to get started on it anyway. I'm going to focus on one particular aspect of it, though, and uh, try to resist uh, in the, in the, uh, with, with the goal of just trying to get one particular thought across from going too far afield in some of the other tempting places to go here uh, and develop. But uh, I'd like you to just, for a moment, think with me for a second. If during this service, someone here should fall over, clutching his or her hand to the chest, gasping for air, how many of you would sit in your seats contemplating the best course of action? Hmm. I wonder what we should do. How many here, perhaps, uh, would depend upon your own efforts to save the person's life. There are a few of you here that are actually qualified to uh, take this in hand. But I suspect that even you would not go, oh, well, I don't need any of anything else. I've, we've got it here. And what about it if, if this were you? who are clutching your hand to your chest in pain, gasping for breath, how many of you would calmly just lay back and tell everyone standing around, it just, never mind, I've got this. No, 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 don't, don't, don't bother. I can handle this. Well, the answer to the first two questions, of course, uh, hopefully, is that none of you would sit there and uh, do nothing, and none of you, even if you had the qualifications, would think that you were sufficient to, to save somebody's life. And certainly the last one, if it were you, I think it's pretty decidedly, nobody here would be that foolish. If, if you did, we would think that not only were you having a heart attack or something else life-threatening, we would also think that you probably lost your mind as well. We would call in the experts, wouldn't we? I suspect there would be about 40 calls coming, going to 911 as soon as that started to happen. Now, as human beings, we instinctively understand it's hard to avoid it. We have to really be arrogant to think that you don't have any physical limitations or even any mental limitations. We, we know that there are certain bounds to which we go. And we are, 
most people are willing to admit that. Most people are. But when it comes to our corrupt spiritual nature, that apart from God is in an even more desperate condition than someone gasping for breath on the floor, we find it hard to believe that we have any spiritual limitations. We just had a conversation the other night with uh, a friend, uh, uh, but uh, one who wants to find uh, lots of good in man and that man has the ability to come to God on his own. And uh, struggled when when it was suggested to him that there is none who does good, no, not one. That man is lost in his sins and incapable of coming to Christ. This is a man who has endured tremendous physical challenges and who knows those limitations physically and so on. But when it comes to the spiritual, we want to cling to something that says, yes, I can do this. I can make this happen. Psalm 107 is a wonderful picture of human predicaments and divine intervention. There are four stanzas that all depict the same thing. That God delivers His people from the emergencies of their souls. In each case, God brings them to the place where they have no choice but to call God's 911, if you will, for rescue. Perhaps there's someone here who hasn't really dialed that number yet. If not, listen and understand what God can do. In verses 4 through 9, we find the first stanza. Um, I'm terming these folks the wanderers. God rescues the wanderers, or if you prefer, in every situation here, folks are lost. Folks are at their wits end. Folks have run out of resources. Folks can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But they're characterized by different things. These are the empty lost here in verses 4 through 9. These are wanderers that we're told are wandering in desert wastes. They can't find a way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Now this is more than just someone who's uh, moving from point A to point B and trying to find a house. A few of you are in the midst of that here. Uh, some of you have been in that predicament um, in the not-too-distant uh, past. This is much more serious than, than that. This is truly those that long to have a place to rest, that long to have a place of peace, that long to have the answers of their heart and their soul, uh, the, the, the answers to the questions of their heart and soul given to them so that they can be at rest, so that they can be settled, so that they can be provided for. And they can find nothing. They're lost. They're hungry. They're thirsty. 
they're exhausted. And God rescues those who are in that condition. And of course, I'm not just talking about those who are in that physical condition, condition, though he does that as well for his people. Ultimately, these, these temporal types of situations that are described here by the psalmist speak to spiritual realities in our heart as well. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, a person is a wanderer. And they're empty. They have no means in and of themselves, even though they may try to, to scratch and scrape and try to figure out how they can be happy, how they can be fulfilled, how they can, how they can be right with God. They may even have that, which is a, a very appropriate desire. And yet they have no means within themselves and no understanding how that can happen. And they may try all sorts of things. You know, have you seen those, the, those bumper stickers, t-shirts on the hats, you know, whatever. You know, all those who wander aren't lost. Well, that's true, I suppose. But um, I can tell you that many who wander truly are. Truly are. You know, our search and rescue folks around here every year go out on calls to try to find folks that thought they knew where they were and thought they knew how to get back. But didn't. Many times they're successful, sometimes they're not. And one of the reasons sometimes why it's not successful is that there are folks that when they get in that position, they think that the best thing that they can do is to keep moving. And in some respects, that's depending on their individual circumstances, of course. Uh, but the more they move, the harder they are to find. Um, but people get scared. They don't know. Maybe if I go here, maybe if I go there, maybe if I do this. And we do that in our souls as well. Maybe if I just go to church. Maybe if I just say I believe in God. Maybe if I read these books. Maybe if I fellowship with these people. Maybe if I do this. Maybe if I do that. That I will somehow be able to get myself out of this predicament and find God. And they just get more lost. So what do they do? What is the only thing when it comes to what you do? What is the only thing you can do? We read it here in verse 6. And you probably noticed that this, this uh, verse, verse 6, this, phrase, this uh, sentence here, is repeated four times in this psalm. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. If you were that person I mentioned earlier before that was on the floor clutching your heart, I don't think any of you would be sitting there giving instructions to us on what to do. Here, let me tell you how I want to be cared for. Let me tell you how I want to be handled in this situation. Let me tell you what I want to listen to. And by the way, if you say these other things, I don't really want to hear that. So we're not going to be doing that. We're going to be saying, help! If we can talk at all. 
the person who is lost, the wanderer, cries out. That's what you must do as a wanderer. And this is not just a, you know, help type type of uh, cry. The original meaning in the Aramaic uh, root here what had to do with sounding as thunder. And the form of this particular verb here in, the, in the, this text means to call out for help continually in times of distress. This is an urgent if I may say, desperate cry. Because you've come to the end of all your resources. And recognize that like Jesus, when Jesus speaks of blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. You are poor in spirit. You've got nothing to offer, nothing to bring to the table, nothing whatsoever to to, uh, uh, encourage any kind of being found. All you can do by the grace of God is cry out with everything you've got for deliverance. God especially promises in His Word to hear the cry of the afflicted, the alien, the orphan, and the widow. If you see that in Exodus 22, for example, Psalm 9, and other places. The fact that God hears the cries of his people and delivers them from their distress distinguishes him as the living and true God. Why? Men cry out to idols all the time. But such idols do not respond. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Eyes, but they cannot see. Feet, but they cannot walk. And hands, but they cannot do anything. Whether they're an actual lump of rock or wood or gold or the idols of our hearts. Such false gods are no refuge and can do nothing. I remember years ago when uh, my wife and I were in the Ukraine uh, as we were uh, adopting our son. One of the things that... uh, that stuck out to me that didn't have anything to do with the adoption. There was all kinds of things that stick out to me with, with that. But uh, I remember going in the city of Kiev to uh, St. Michael's Cathedral. It's an incredible, incredible uh, building. Um, we went in there just to see what it was all about. Well, a, lot, a lot of other tourists in there were just kind of standing around looking. And as we're standing in the entrance there, there was, there was a screen uh, beyond which we were not allowed to go, but you could see through into the, and it was very impressive. Lots of gold, lots of tapestries, lots of rich colors, uh, the smell of incense and all of that, and all over. Uh, there was a table in front of this screen that was lit up with all kinds of candles. People would come in and light these candles uh, for prayer. And as we were standing there, a woman came into that church in in utter distress. I've seldom seen anyone in more distress. She was weeping. She was wailing, um, speaking in in Russian. Uh, We couldn't understand her, but clearly she was 
she was crying out to God with everything that she had. This is, this is by the way, a cautionary tale. She's crying out to, to God with everything that she has. And she comes and she, she throws herself in front of these candles, takes one, light, puts it on there, crying, screaming, carrying on. It, we had little Eli in our arms and he's looking at us like, I mean, it was, it was a frightening thing. Finally, we're all just watching this. Finally, she stops her wailing and turns around. And here's why this is a cautionary tale. Because I want you to understand that when I say crying out, it doesn't mean just getting all worked up emotionally. It's crying out with an understanding of who you're actually crying out to. When that woman turned around, she was spent. You could tell she was spent emotionally, she was spent physically, she had just put everything out there. And when she turned around, it was the most hopeless face I have ever seen in my life. The despair was dripping off of her. All of that wailing, all of that crying out to God was misspent because she was depending upon getting there to light a candle. She was depending upon getting there to go through the, the religious rituals. She was worshiping the wrong God. So just getting emotionally worked up is not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about actually coming to the God of heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ, and crying out to not... To him, not to recognize your good works, but to recognize that Jesus Christ paid the penalty, and that's all I can depend on. That he is the one that is the source of my deliverance. There is nothing in this cry that the wanderer does, that the prisoner does, that the afflicted does, that the, the, the sailor does. There's nothing in those cries of any sort of self-worth or works or your own wisdom. It is a simple cry, thundering cry for help to the God of heaven. And he brings that deliverance. He leads them by a straight way till they reach their city to dwell in. And then the psalmist urges them to thank Yahweh for his steadfast love and his wondrous works to the children of men because he is the one who satisfies the longing soul. He's the one who truly fills you and you will not be empty anymore. He does this through the Lord Jesus Christ who is the way, who is the bread, who is the living water. Who is the believer's rest? As Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the living bread. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Come unto me, all you who are heavy, laden, and I will give you rest. Our Lord Jesus leads us to a place of fullness and peace where we are lost no more 
The Lord also rescues the prisoner. These folks are lost too, but it's a different thing. These folks are lost because they're rebellious. These folks are lost because they've turned their back on God. These folks are lost because they think that they can sin with impunity. And it catches them. And it costs them. And they find themselves in bondage that they cannot get out of. These are the rebellious lost. Verses 10 through 16. They're prisoners. But these are not uh, prisoners in the sense of uh, they're victims. They're unjustly uh, thrown in prison. They are there, it says, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So the Lord brought the consequences of their actions down upon them. Now, I know it's not true of any of of our children. Um, But uh, occasionally when when you hear other people punishing their children, that sometimes the children seem to resent having to bear the consequences of their actions. What do you mean I've got to go sit in my room? What do you mean I, I uh, have to endure a little corporal punishment? What do, I, what do you mean I, I can't go do this or can't go do that or, or whatever? Well, there's a consequence for wrong. There's a consequence for sin. And uh, we may beg and plead that we don't have to experience that. But those who are bound up in the bondage to their sin are there because they made a choice. This whole principle is at the root of why it's a problem to talk about addiction as being an illness. Addictions may be fueled and encouraged by certain aspects of our DNA. Granted, but you wouldn't be in that position if you hadn't made a a decision in the first place. A sinful decision to trust in something else than God Himself. And so ultimately it's a sin problem. Well, these prisoners are in bondage. They're slaves to sin. They're guilty. They're under judgment. Ultimately, you could say they are utter failures. They're condemned under the laws. Paul says in Romans 3.19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. When you're caught up in your sins and you cannot shake free of those sins, whatever those sin problems are, There's only one thing you can do. What does it say? What does it say that they do? They cried to Yahweh in their trouble. And He delivered them from their distress. Now it's not to say that uh, turning over a new leaf isn't a good thing. Somehow... Um, I'm going to be able to, if I just change my ways and I stop being rebellious, that all will be fixed. 
Some of you have heard my testimony, and this is kind of where I was at. I turned over a new leaf when, as a young man. I just started looking at my sin and, and, and my, my thought patterns and my behavioral patterns. And, of course, I didn't talk about them in such sterile ways. But nonetheless, I looked at my sin and my life and was like, you know, I need to change some things. And I did change some things. And, and that's all great. That's all well and good. Certainly life was better. I got a new set of friends. Started changing my attitudes about things. And yet ultimately, my heart was still not Christ's. Ultimately, I still went about making my transformation happen on my own. Which ultimately means that even though I looked, even though as a prisoner I did take a shower and cleaned up and look a little better, maybe smelled a little better, spiritually speaking, but ultimately I was still a prisoner because I was not trusting in the deliverance of my God. I was trusting in my ability to change my life. I'm still in bondage to my sin. And even though that you know, the transformation sounds really good. It's ultimately still rebellion because God says, you're not trusting in yourself. Your righteousness are as filthy rags. You've got to trust me, period. End of discussion. That's it. It was only when, by the grace of God, sitting under the preaching of his word, that the spirit of God convicted me and I cried out to him, knowing that I had nothing to bring to the table. That all my transformation, all of my turning over a new leaf, all of my resolutions meant nothing apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So the prisoners cry out. And Christ grants freedom. Genuine freedom. He grants freedom from guilt by taking the judgment due to us upon himself and winning the victory over sin and death. So we read, as they cried to the Lord, he delivered them, he brought them out of darkness, out of the shadow of death, burst their bonds apart, broke the bars, cut the bars in two, shattering the doors of bronze. The Lord knows how to free people from prison, doesn't he? He rescues the prisoners. And he does it through the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, Jesus Christ himself is the propitiation, the covering, the, 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 the means of our forgiveness for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Even though he was the one whom even the wicked had to acknowledge that this man has done nothing wrong. The Lord Jesus became sin for us. As the, as the heavenly hosts will sing in Revelation 5, 9, speaking in, singing in praise to the Lord Jesus, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Our Savior is our deliverer. As Paul cries out in Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our deliverer.
Well, I'm looking at the time this morning and recognizing that we're halfway through. So I'm going to stop at halfway. We're still going to be talking about how God rescues the sick and how he rescues the troubled, the storm-tossed. And perhaps you find yourself uh, among that number today. God willing, we'll spend some time on these remaining verses in this blessed psalm next week. But let's just kind of recap this a little bit, tie this up a little bit so that we're ready to go for uh, next Sunday, God willing. Did you notice how many times the phrase steadfast love was mentioned in this psalm? No less than six times. It bookends the whole psalm in uh, verse 1 and in verse 43. And then on every occasion uh, that is mentioned, every situation that is mentioned, of those that are lost, those that are, that are uh, in, in prison, those that are afflicted, those that are at their wit's end on the high seas, every single one of those stanzas concludes reminding people to praise God and remember His steadfast love, His covenant mercy. This, this uh, um, psalm is, and I'll say this again next week too, but this psalm is the answer to the prayer that you find in Psalm 106 and verse 47. Save us, O Yahweh our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. This song, this psalm is the song of the redeemed. As we wrap up this portion of this message today, I want to urge upon you to consider Am I among those who are delivered in this way? Or am I still wandering? Am I still caught up in, in the bondage of my sins? It's a very important question. Because the Lord is speaking to those whom He works uh, uh, on whose behalf he works. Recognizing that this isn't random, this isn't haphazard, this isn't arbitrary on God's part. These are the actions of a God who makes and keeps covenant with his people to deliver them from the messes that they get themselves into because of sin. And my prayer for everyone here is that you would know this deliverance that you would know and experience that, that loyalty of God to himself and to his people that can never fail. Well, the, world's all, the world is filled with all kinds of self-help stuff, isn't it? With all kinds of remedies, with all kinds of plans, with all kinds of things to fix yourself. And none of them work. None of them last. Only God does. And His covenant never fails. So be encouraged, my dear friends. When you're in the midst 
of these various circumstances. Some maybe because of your own folly, others just simply because we live in a fallen world to, in, in which we are vulnerable and prone to these things because of what's going on around us. Some just because of the, the limitations of our, our, our minds and abilities. In all of these things, our default action should be to cry out to God and trust Him for His deliverance because He truly does deliver you from the emergencies of your soul. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this precious psalm that reminds us that you sovereignly and graciously deliver your people. Lord, we would desire we desire to be numbered among your family, your people. Lord, let us never look to ourselves to save us from our own messes. Father, may we truly trust in you and the finished work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver us because no one else can. Thank you, God, for your mercy to us. And we thank you that you have revealed to us your plan and enabled us by your calling and regeneration to be partakers of that plan through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.